Pelotero Pickle episode 18 is an off-season hitting extravaganza. Let's talk about what you should be doing in the off-season, what hitters you should be emulating. Let's talk about competition. What does it mean? How do you become a better competitor? In the post-show, we get into who needs more love from hitting Twitter. Check it out. Pickle, 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 episode 18. It is currently, I have no idea what day it is, December 14th. It's 11-11 here in Texas. It's 12-11 in Massachusetts. How are we doing, Chris? How are we doing, Clutch? I'm good. Clutch is, is loud right now. Early on, special guest. Uh, mom's not at home. She just took a new job. So I'm, I, got, I got both dogs duty until I leave. And uh, Clutch decided he wanted to be on the show today, as per usual, trying to grow that Instagram following. He's just trying to take that shine away from your new haircut. So good. Clap. I did this myself. Flat. It's like a flat top, kind of. Yeah, you're a self-cut guy. Yeah. What uh, what length do we get on the sides? Uh, it's a one. I usually I I toy I toy between uh no attachment and a two, but I figured I'd show it to the world today. How long I- have you been your own hair for? I mean, it depends, uh, but it, I started, so I want to preface by saying this isn't a pandemic thing. You've been doing yeah, this for a while. Yeah. I started probably in 2013 maybe. Cause it was really annoying when I was playing in the big leagues to have to, and also in the minor leagues to have to go get a haircut when you have to be at the stadium at one. Right. I'm a notoriously late night guy. So basically, um, yeah. From like 9am till no barbershops open at 10. Let's clarify. Number one. Number two, you're on the road a lot. So, like, you can't just go find a rando barber. But what ended up happening was in Toronto, we had the barber come to the field. So, Clutch thought I wanted a high five. See, high five. There he goes. Um, but the barber the barber would come to the field uh, in Toronto. So, then, you know, you pay 40, 50 bucks for a haircut because the guy traveled. So, I, you know, when I was – So, it's a show well, so. One of my first couple of years when I got to the big leagues, I was like, I'm not spending that much money for a haircut. <laughs> Thanks, Clutch. Way to let everybody know that you disapproved of me spending money for haircuts. But then when I started really getting into like the, the faux hawk, I got peer pressured into the faux hawk in 2015. That's a little bit harder to do on your own. So, you know. Well, you're on TV a lot. It's important to, to look, look the part. Yeah. You, I well, mean, if you just straight up shaved your head, you could get away with it. But if you're going – Specialty faux hawk, then you should probably get a professional in there. Yeah, the 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 playoff faux hawk was probably the best haircut I had in my career, in terms of how I evaluated myself, um, in fifteen. But other than that, early in the year, nobody's watching. You don't care. Just cut your own hair. You wear a hat anyway. Yeah. I feel like hair's a big deal. Like uh, Yuli Gurriel. On yeah. That. It was like he's the 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 show hair is top step hair is a big deal now. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how he gets his hair to do what it does while he's wearing a hat and helmet the whole game because then he takes it off and somehow it's still pointing straight up slash curled slash curved over slash whatever that is. I mean, he's, he's putting time into it, that's for sure. Yeah, there's effort there. And I also – I tried to grow my hair out a few times, but mine gets this way, and I can't I – can't, I could never wear product during a game. Can you imagine sweating and having gel running into your face? No, I think that – but they, they must use like – water-based and uh, matte finish stuff so it doesn't just drip all over their face. I don't, I don't know how they do it. That would always be interesting to me when I would see a player putting product in his hair, 
before a game or having product from the night before and not grabbing a shower before the game to get the product out. I mean, you have to really care about your hair, and I don't think I ever got to the point where I did. So I have good hair to begin with, so I don't have to think about it. I mean, it's, it's a big – hair's a big deal in baseball, in sports in general, I would say. Yeah. So, all right, let's jump into the topics. We got uh, off-season hitting extravaganza today. Extravaganza. That means we're going to talk about hitting in the off-season a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Producer Patrick's hit us with a bunch of questions here. What did a typical off-season look like for us? Bad question. We had no idea what we were doing. At least <laughs> uh, how did you progress to prepare for the season? Should your level determine your goals? Should it be flaws from the previous season? How do you know what amount of, of work to do? How much time to spend in the cage? How do you balance it with timing work? Um, with time working and other off skills, off, other skills, strength training. A plus reading by me right there. Uh, off season training. So my off season training was basically like just go to the cage when I was doing lessons, and like sometimes mixing with the kids. Sometimes like we would find a cage to go hit at. T work flips. I mean we're talking 15, 20 years ago now. So we didn't even, we didn't have cell phones in our pockets that could record video. So there was no video taking place. Um, no hit tracks, no sensors, no metrics. It's just get in the cage and try to feel through it. Literally, you're defining the issue that everyone has. What do you do? And now people are paying training facilities to figure it out for them, right? When we were growing up, we didn't, those were not things. Unless, unless you had a coach that you hit with or somebody that just took time, like, what were you supposed to do? So that, that whole thing just got shaped pretty organically and by saying that means we had no idea like literally we had no clue what we we're doing we just thought the old adage hit till your hands bleed oh if you just rep out that means you're getting better than somebody that was my interpretation of hard work when i was a kid so i thought we were supposed to take a billion swings and i couldn't have been more wrong um somehow it all played itself out i really never i probably didn't work out anything other than hitting i've never I've never thrown in the off season. Don't tell anybody that um, I never played catch literally not once. The first day of spring training would be the day that I played catch. Um, that being said, I would throw BP to some guys. So it's not like my arm wasn't doing anything or, you know, when I was in the minor leagues. So, well, I mean, but I also played the outfield, you know, no, you didn't. I faked it. You were, you were put into the outfield. I don't know if you could say you played the outfield. You were outfield. And then that was like mid season anyway. So you were, by that point you're in shape. Yeah, but I I never understood that people's obsession with playing catch that played the like position players. I just thought you play catch. Um, lifting, I didn't lift a weight until carry the six, my freshman year in college. Literally did not lift a weight because my dad didn't know anything because he was a pitcher and when he was playing, lifting was voodoo as they like to call it. So I didn't do any strength not, training. Not like not, you're gonna get stiff. You're gonna you get bulked up yeah bad. and in retrospect there i mean i think you just have to get to the point where it's enough right like i got strong enough you get man muscles whatever and even if you got you know that nice layer of pillow around it that protects you the the, all, the, the saying is you can't pull fat right so might as well keep a that's little me. bit of that around people say that aren't shredded yeah. I'm, on, I'm, in, I'm in that boat so that's okay but my first, my first full, my first full season though, I lost like 20 pounds during the season. So by the end of that year, 
I was not fat anymore, which is cool. So I used the season for weight loss, maybe? I don't know. So I would, in college, I would lose 10 pounds in a season. So I would, I'm sorry, I'd lose five pounds. So I, I would, I, each year of college, I gained 10 pounds in the off season, then lost five in season. So it was like, just step up, work down, step up, work down. I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable how much further along things are. I mean, if we just talk about the swing, um, between my, between the 2006, 2007 season, the only thing that I like kind of held on to was that I wasn't getting back. So I was like getting like really over my backside, <laughs> like stacked. I had no, I mean, I had no idea. We had no video. We had, it's, it was just a feel. I, I don't know if I had watched somebody and was like, Oh, that must be what it is. I, I don't even know what I was trying to emulate. There, it was just a random feel to see if it works. Who knows? When, when I was in high school, we, we still used the single wheel machine. So the only thing I did in high school was single wheel machine because the double wheel was too hard to control with the yellow dimple balls in it. And yeah, I would always hit with a wooden bat because in the cage, you didn't care how far it went. So, and you try to convince yourself that you were hitting it really hard and really far because there's no data, there were no hit tracks, no nothing. So everything was just guessing. But I'll tell you what, I fooled myself into believing I was going deep every time I hit a pull side laser. I was like, yeah, definitely got that. I remember I'd have sessions with my dad and I'd tell him, and he'd be like, ball's coming off your bat way harder. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, and if really, I could go back, there's no if way. If I could go no. back, I would just want routine. That's, I would want a routine that I could trust, that I knew I was doing decent stuff. I mean, video is available now, so there's no really going back on it. So video is available. So you can, you know, if you have checkpoints, if you have things that you can look for that are reliable, you can start there regardless of any other technology. Pretty much everybody's walking around with 4K video in their pocket. So we got access to, to really high quality video that if you know what to look for, you can start working on stuff. Go ahead. I, I would say the biggest thing, and if I could go back in time, Understanding, because regardless of your, your access to tech or your access to data, the thing that I would do different is I would just put myself in way more uncomfortable situations in my training. And I think that's really hard. And I, I see it happen still to this day. Even with all the access that we have, players aren't putting themselves in uncomfortable situations. So yesterday, for example, two different guys, one that hits the ball a billion, a billion, literally one of the hardest, like probably looks up to three people in the world. And it's still after three or four years, it's the same stuff. Like, you want to feel good about yourself in the cage instead of understanding what swings that you take in the cage that are going to help you come April. And that doesn't mean that you can't have rounds where you let it eat or try to go deep or try to set PRs for exit velocity. But the majority of your swings can't be shaped in that direction. The other one, uh, young player, super whippy, really twitchy. Um, just a lot of good athletic stuff going on, learned how to switch hit three years ago. Um, and really is trying to figure out that opposite side. And the thing that I always notice about being left-handed is it's like, or when I'd hit lefty and even though I don't really switch hit, but the times that I would, I would have a lot of trouble controlling the bat head through the zone, like meaning hit a ball over the, the opposite field infielders. And he's kind of the same problems. Like he just doesn't control the bat head cause it's new to him. Um, so what I did was I, I just made him uncomfortable like as quickly as I could. So he had a really good round of BP. He's feeling good about himself. I was like, all right, let's go live real quick. And I threw six pitch mix, hurt his feelings a little bit. 
And then I said, that's supposed to happen. You know, like the first time you even get into the lab in the cage, but literally putting yourself in more situations where you're going to fail, you're going to struggle because those end up being the most defining situations and moments you have throughout the offseason. Yeah, I would, I would say that's the biggest mistake hitters make is they don't, they don't uh, put themselves in game-like situations and fail and establish game-like timing. It's like the off-season is a whole different season. It's like if you're playing a different game. Like if you were going to go play t-ball or football, then train like that the whole off-season. And then you, when, you go to the, when you go to a game and they're flipping an underhand to you and hitting tanks, you're, you're going to feel good about yourself. If the game is some guy throwing upper 80s, 90s, who knows what you're, whatever level you're at, but you've only prepared for underhand flips. You're not playing the flip league. It's not, it's not what it is. It's, it's like overhand, mix of pitches, different zones. Um, I just see a lot of kids trying to retool their swings with underhand flips. And uh, well, T-work is awesome. I love T-work. T-work is to establish fields that you try to take to the moving ball for me. So if you have a plan, if you know what you're trying to feel, once you get that feel locked in with a non-moving ball or an underhand flip, you got to try to transfer it. It's crazy. It's crazy when I felt like when I was young, that doing anything with velocity other than putting a ball in the machine at a reasonable speed, doing anything with pitch selection, you know, even breaking ball machine, like all we did was we would just hit overhand toss or BP. Nobody ever talked about, hey, why don't we train – like it's a game. Like, why don't, why don't we do that? I never, I never, I thought it was against the rules to take at bats in the off season. Like <laughs> against the rules of, yeah. of what life, life rules. Yeah. It, that's the biggest thing. And it's, I think of a lot of kids that don't have a plan that don't know what to look for. They don't it's like 95% of the world, by the way. Probably more than that, but they're, a lot of well-intentioned people trying to help kids who are working hard and they just don't have direction and guidance and uh, reliable things to reliable tools to get themselves better, which is why we built Pelotero by the way. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, balancing it with other skill work. Um, I think it's just understanding your deficiencies. So I wish I knew way more about nutrition. That's my, like my number one look back on my athletic career. If I knew more about nutrition, it would have made a huge difference on my work in the weight room. I had no idea what I was doing, but if you're weak, if you're not strong, you know, all these things about bat speed right now, like your bet, if you get in the weight room, your bat speed is going to improve. You're going to get stronger. You're going to move the bat faster. I mean, it's just, there's a base layer of strength that most kids just don't have. So when you achieve that, you're going to be that much better of an athlete. It's going to transition to every single aspect of your game. You're going to be faster. You're going to be quicker. You're going to, hit the ball harder. You're going to, everything's going to be faster and better. If you get, if you put the time in the weight room. Now, if you've checked all those boxes and you need to maintain, you, need, you always can get faster, always can get better. But if you don't know your deficiencies, then what are you, how are you going to create a plan? How are you going to address what you need to address to get better for the next season? So most kids need to spend more time in the weight room. I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's a good, it's good for your life, like throughout your you know, post athletic career to be in good shape and create those routines you got to have a plan you got to invest the time if you're just going to the cage and you're a wet noodle and you can't hit the ball hard like you're not going to have massive gains you might improve your skill but you're not going to have like this big jump in productivity just because you took a bunch of swings yeah uh, just making sure that the work is has some purpose not just work for work's sake 
Very good. Next topic, choosing hitters to emulate. First of all, emulating hitters is awesome. Do it. All the uh, time. Just do it a lot. Video is accessible now. Like, have you ever seen slow-mo video of a major league hitter like through college? No. That was – when the I was – first time I ever saw a video of a, of a major league hitter in slow-mo, I think was 2005, 2003 maybe. I went to a Mike Epstein talk um, after my sophomore year of college, I think. I saw Mike Epstein talk. He was like just drawing a bunch of lines. And I asked him about a specific line. He's like, oh, you got to pay me for a lesson to do that. I was like, oh, cool. That's the, the deepest, the deepest we ever got into hitting talks or having access was when Barry Bonds, it was the, I think it was the year he hit 73. I think I was a freshman. Was that the year he hit 73? Anyway, he was, he did this whole segment on ESPN. And I remember him talking about catching the ball. He was doing a demo on ESPN. He was talking about catching the ball and Barry was the man, right? Like arguably the, the best hitter to ever live. That was 2000. Um, yeah. So like, I would say, I mean, if I had to like tell people who the best hitter ever is, and I don't like to give my opinion, but that's either one A or one B for me. Babe Ruth is the other one. Um, and I, love I, the Williams? Uh, I mean, he's probably like in the, Again, it's just a random arbitrary list. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm going to use my bias, taste, and preferences to evaluate. I mean, anyway, so just to give you some context of, of, of how little we knew, Barry's talking about catching the ball, but, like, he never talks about his bat tip, never talked about, like, how he'd do a setback, never talked about why his hips got turned in, and nobody talks about that stuff. So the closest I ever got to really – taking a deep dive into hitting information with anybody that was beyond a high school coach per se was that. And I'm like, Oh, so I'm going to go try to catch the ball today. And here I am in batting practice going like this and trying to hit balls deep. And I'm like, how come it feels so bad or crappy? And I, well, I the people that took that, the people that the coach that took that Barry Bonds thing. And then they have players literally like catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like no bad. They just like stick their arm out. Catch the ball, and if that doesn't paint the picture for people, then I don't, I don't know what does, right? Like Barry Bonds is literally thinking about catching the ball, and you said that to fourteen people, they would understand fourteen different things, and it's crazy. Yeah, My dogs are about to get loud, by the way. Yeah. Clutch is going to clutch. Bolt's going to bolt. Yeah. Clutch um, is coming over, and then Bolt's going to get jealous. My recommendation for emulating hitters is to try different things. Um, if you've never tried a leg kick, pick a hitter that has a leg kick. David Ortiz had a big leg kick. Josh Donaldson had a big leg kick. Uh, if you don't like a leg kick, get super spread out. Do a toe touch. Do like a Anthony Rendon or a Nelson Cruz or an Albert Pools. Um, if you want something in the middle, do something in the middle. There's Try different barrel tips. Like You don't know what's going to be best for you. Learning your swing is a process of elimination. So try everything, and when something – doesn't work cross it off eliminate it take it away Buy everything it's like ice cream flavors try them all try it you can figure out which ones stink when when something doesn't work or you can't figure it out or it doesn't feel good stop doing it and try something else and you you're always going to have like your natural swing your natural tendency of whatever you how you move so that's not going to like just disappear that memory's burned in that's deep getting away from that's the hard part now, you have to figure out if, if you're raking already, you're probably not going to try to make swing changes. 
if you are, it's, I would recommend against doing that. Don't, if you smash, don't change what you're doing. Uh, but if you're not hitting the ball the way you want to, try new things, emulate wide, narrow, close stance, open stance, high hands, low hands, elbow back, elbow forward, like flow into it as many different ways you can. Figure out what works best for you and how you can time the pitcher best. That was the only stuff we changed was our stance because nobody taught us how to change our swing. Yeah, we'd have like little cues, but ultimately the only swing changes, this is going to sound probably weird. The only swing changes you can make happen before the swing happens, in my opinion, right? The only, the only things that matter in the swing, and we talk about this all the time, they happen in the gather, they happen in the load. But the only stuff we knew how to change, theoretically, like people would say, oh, like don't roll your wrists over. Okay, that's a byproduct of 14 other things, including the speed of the pitch. So when I hear people say, oh, I rolled it over. Like, no, dude, the rollover happened like back here. Like you already rolled over back here. It was just – it was a timing issue. So the only thing we did, I had, I probably had 14 different stances by the time I got out of high school. I felt like Cal Ripken. I'd be like, why does Cal Ripken change his stance? Maybe he knows a secret that has, you know, the gold in it. And that's why he changes. But Cal was just trying to figure out which thing had knocks in it. I wrote that on Twitter. I was like, he was trying to figure out what had knocks, man. That's what people did. They just figured out how to get knocks. The funny thing about that is his swing pattern was the exact same in every Never single changed. one. Never so changed. He changed his, his timing mechanisms, his styles, his feels, the whole like this one, the, like the, the slide it off his shoulder thing, the, the, all the different things that he tried yeah. just led him to the exact same place, but he had to trick himself. It's like uh, he, he, was, he was tricking himself into getting to where he needed to be probably because he didn't know exactly what he was doing and that's okay. Cause he kept trying to change stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it's gotta be a very scary feeling to be at that level and not know, like not have your identity locked in where like, can you imagine this dude is a hall of famer. <laughs> hall of famer. Had no <laughs> idea what he was doing. Had to he just kept trying to change every, every year he had to try something different. Crazy. Uh, different check. How would you create different checkpoints? So um, if you can do video delay for different checkpoints, huge, huge believer in that. Uh, start with big movements. So look at what the pelvis is doing. Look at what the shoulders are doing. Look at like head position. So like something simple. If use the, the line on this as a checkpoint. So if you see a hitter that loads and he goes like this, first hitter that loads and goes like this, like look at what the shoulders are doing. Am I sloping down? Am I leaning back? Is my head going forward as I pick up my foot or is it going back as I pick up my foot things like that like when I pick up my front foot what's the pelvis doing is it closing is it staying neutral is it opening big pieces early are where change is going to happen if you're trying to do like some nuance like oh this guy's doing this in the contact like that swings over you can't change that that's you're you're just delivering energy at that point it's not yep. those are not fine adjustments and that's where high-speed video to me gets very dangerous because you think like Oh, like, look what his wrist is. His wrist is coming like this and it's turning into the ball. It's like, yeah, no kidding. How, what else is he supposed to do? <laughs> his swing is at, at all the energy that he wanted to use in that swing has already been done. Like there's there, you can't even stop the swing at that point, let alone make these fine, like, Oh, look, it's doing this. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. It's, start getting, it's getting even more crazy. Just try stuff. Just try, try stuff and start with the big moves. Randy Carlson. Let me pull up the exact tweet. He said, had a talk with my hitting group. Maybe I'm full of crap. Maybe I'm seeing what I want to see. 
but I told him in my experience, in the end, it's the most competitive guys who make it furthest. I believe that the average kid with fighting hearts kills the talented kid in the end. I enjoyed that tweet. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting to me, right? Um, I, I believe kind of what he's saying, if that makes any sense. Um, at, at the end of the day, like the discussion is what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? What, what the, does desire to be successful come first or does talent come first? Like, I think you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to like the game. You have to like playing. You have to really want to be good to be good. Like you don't just wake up and you're like, oh, I'm good at hitting. Like you have to learn athletic stuff and, and do athletic things. And then all of a sudden, I think – I don't know. It's a really, it's a really hard question. Obviously you have to be a good athlete in baseball specifically. You have to have great hand-eye coordination. There's something special about hitting that's really difficult because you're taking the bat to the ball instead of like, like the object in your hand is like, you don't have the football in your hand. You don't have the basketball in your hand. You don't have the ball on your foot. Uh, you know, you have a bat that's now trying, you're trying to control the, the bat head, which is down there. And it's, I guess you'd say the same thing for golf and hockey um, with variables that are much easier to control, I guess. Um, because I think you still control the ball, right? You're the one controlling the ball. But ultimately, I think that has to be present to be great. Like if you don't have a yearning desire to be good, then I think it gets hard to get better. Right. Like, how do you get better if you're not, if you just don't have that drive? And I'm not saying that a seven year old kid has to have drive, you know, through the roof. Like, he just has to enjoy the game. You have to enjoy it enough to want to get to that place, I think. Yeah. Um, I, when I think about competition, I think it's important to, to preface it a little bit, whether we're talking about internal competition or external competition. The, the players that are internally motivated and compete with themselves, I think, have the biggest, most long-term opportunity. Um, there's also an element of bravery. I was thinking about this where like, imagine you're like the little kid and you got to step up to the big kid. And it's like, you're going to go one-on-one -on -one against the best player. Yeah. You're going to take them on. You're going to step up against, you know, they got a guy in the mouth throwing a hundred, like who wants to hit him? Everybody's like this. <laughs> the guy that steps you should have got fully out of shot. Out of you could be the guy that's like, I want this at bat. I want this moment. I want to see where I stand. And I think there's an element of bravery to that and an element of, of sticking your neck out. And a lot of people have fear of that. And a lot of people are too afraid of failure and too afraid to expose themselves to, um, to put themselves out there and to, to risk that exposure is too much for them. You have to enjoy the challenge more than you enjoy the outcome, right? And, and I, I think at, at young ages, we always, we, it's, it's, we point to outcomes. It's so much easier. Like we have to think about outcomes because that's all we see and all we know because it's hard to get past that surface level. But really, you have to start to love the challenge. Um, I don't know when that happens. I don't know what age it's at. But, you know, you have to start to love the work. You have to start to love everything about, you know, things that are hard and, and the satisfaction, because when, when push comes to shove, you get the most satisfaction of success when it comes from a place that was really difficult, right? Like, Oh, I'm, it's a matchup. I'm not supposed to win. It's that little, 
it's that little thing inside you that tells you like this is the the hardest challenge I'm gonna have and not like understanding that hey baseball is a game built around failure innately like we're we're supposed to fail as hitters over and over again and ultimately the opportunity those opportunities to win in those circumstances are, are what makes the game great because if not the moments would never get created and that's why getting walk-off hits and hitting home runs is so or it used to be special hitting a home runs not special anymore everybody does it um but, but you know it those things are so cool because of all the work and challenge that went into it. Um, you know, I think of those moments. I look back on so many moments when I was a kid where you achieved something that was really difficult. You faced the best pitcher on another team or whatever it was. And I remember uh, in Legion, we faced Brandon Gomes. Brandon ended up being in the big leagues uh, before me, uh, but we played against each other in Legion. And I remember he, to that point, he was, he was the best pitcher I'd ever faced. And, uh, you know, his reputation spoke for itself. 94 95 coming out of high school maybe a little less but um and i remember i i hit him i hit him well i had really good at bats against him and um i was certainly more locked in for those moments and especially if you want to if you want to be the best player on a team if you want to be the best guy on your team you have to feel that way you have that's what separates you i think and nobody's saying you you don't need talent but where does the talent get acquired from you know like where where do you go find the talent yeah it's kind of a self-fulfilling situation where if you if you compete, make it get better. And the more you get better, the more you're going to compete. And it's just kind of like flywheel effect. Yeah. Uh, last topic, post-show. Best hitter right now in Major League Baseball that hitting Twitter doesn't talk enough about or hitter that gets too hyped up. And I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Yeah, go. My favorite hitting stat is WOBA. Lowercase w, capital O-B-A. Weighted on base average. I'm going to give you the formula right now and, the, and why I like it so much. So it's a weighted formula, meaning singles are not as worth as much as doubles. Triples are worth more than doubles. Homers are worth more than everything. You get, you get a, a weighted score for walks, which is 0.69, which is hashtag nice, according to Twitter. Uh, 0.72 for hit by pitch, 0.89 for singles, 1.27 for doubles, 1.62 for triples, 2.1 for homers. And then you add all that up. And then you divide it by at-bats plus walks, minus intentional walks, because you didn't do anything for an intentional walk, uh, plus sacrifice flies, plus his hit by pitch. So it takes into account, it's like, it's like merging slugging and on-base percentage, where it's giving you more points. You're like, you, get, you get better numbers when you hit the ball more effectively, which I like. Yeah. So if we go by WOBA, the guy that stands out to me the most, who doesn't get enough love, we got two guys, Jose Ramirez for the Indians and Trey Turner of the Nationals. Jose Ramirez is fifth in the Major League Baseball this past year. Trey Turner's seventh. Nobody talks about them. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the year, I guess. Um, I feel like Jose Ramirez got some love two years ago. And not as he didn't get as much as he should have this year. Uh, and no, then I would say breakdowns on Jose Ramirez. Nope. I, I, see, my guy, my go-to guy would have been Justin Turner, but Justin Turner just won the World Series. Yeah, he's got plenty of shine. He's a big swing change guy. Yeah, uh, but on in a normal year when he hits three twenty with twenty five, like if they don't win the World Series, the thing is he's been in the spot. Like they, they've been in the World Series. The real guy who, who obviously just won the MVP that we always talked about never got enough love was Jose Abreu. And you know who I think gets way too much love. I'm going to throw this out there. It's going to yeah. sound messed I think up. I know what you're going to say. No, you don't. 
Who do you think minutes. I'm a, who do you think I'm gonna say? I'm gonna let you say it. Cody Bellinger gets too much love. I was not going there at all. Yeah. Who do you think I was gonna say? I thought you were gonna say Aaron Judge or Mike Trout. No. No, I think Cody Bellinger gets too much love. If you go look at his MVP season, um, look at Cody Bellinger's look, not even top sixty in Woba. Yeah, but look at so look at uh, his MVP year and go look at his first half and second half splits and look yeah. at the yeah. second half was really not good. And I, yeah. I, he, I don't think he's gone wire to wire yet, man. Now granted his first half was as good as anybody's ever been, but just saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, he, he does get a lot of shine and it's kind of like flavor of the month type thing where the, whoever's the it guy, whoever's getting the most love from certain Twitter personalities or whatever, they're going to, they're going to kind of filter up. Um, who else we got on this list? Bryce Harper, 14th in Woba. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. He went from like too much hype to not enough hype. And yeah, now he but he's a hot and cold guy, man. He like, he's, I just think he's so inconsistent and he's got big moves. So it makes sense. Yeah. I got one more and then we can wrap up. Cause I know you gotta go. Anthony Rendon. That never gets enough love. That guy rakes. Dude is a hitter. You're right. That's dude. my go. That's my favorite. Especially and, because he's taking a nap in the batter's box. Well, he, yeah, his, he doesn't really drop to himself. He just kind of just goes about his business and smashes. Yeah. And doesn't yeah. draw the attention that other people might. And uh, one of the best hitters in the game. And he's just kind of like, all right, see you guys later. I'm gonna go <laughs> he looks like he's taking a nap. Yeah, he does. All right. That's going to be a wrap. Good thing. You got to go because you got to go. Yeah, it's fine. Pelotero, 18 pickle. We out. Pelotero, out. Ah.